This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. A lot to get to today. Hope you guys are excited for Wolves playing against uh, the Clippers. We're going to talk about that here pretty soon with Chris Hines, Star Tribune uh, beat writer with the Timberwolves. Um, going to set that game up a big one, biggest game in the franchise since the playoffs in the 2017-18 season. And, you know, could be the start of something good here, but this is a big, big game tonight, a tough matchup, and Chris Hine and I will get into that plenty here in just a few minutes. Got to talk Kirk Cousins' comments from Monday, first time he's spoken since signing that contract extension last month. Got to talk a little bit about the Lynx draft, but first, what did I miss? Twins. Um, so going into the year, I had some skepticism about this team, and I think that was warranted, and I still do. I was worried in particular about pitching, the starting pitching, and the bullpen. I was worried a little bit about the durability of their best players, and really just kind of didn't really know what to make of this team just because so many changes happened in the offseason. And again, when you lose 89 games, change is going to be part of the plan. But one thing I've noticed so far in this 2-2 two and two start, um, after losing the first two, the Twins have won their last two, including a 4 nothing win over Seattle on a on Monday night, is that the thing they probably have going for them the most is difference makers. Um, you got Byron Buxton right now hitting the cover off the baseball, to borrow a cliche from the sport. He has five hits this season in those four games, all of them for extra bases, three home runs and then the two doubles on uh, on Monday night against Seattle. So difference maker number one, when he is healthy, um, no doubt, I mean, it's, it goes without saying, he is one of the best players in the game. If he can stay healthy, he is locked in right now at the plate and in the field. So an encouraging start for Byron Buxton as a difference maker for the Twins. Then you got Carlos Correa, the big shortstop they signed in the offseason. Might only be here for a year, but he is a difference maker too. A guy who can hit, is a gold glove caliber shortstop. He hasn't hit too much yet. Uh, but he has a steadying presence in the infield. He is a difference maker as well. Now, thought it was just those two guys going into the year that were the real difference makers on this team, potentially. They got some other good players, obviously, some other potential, uh, some guys who could step up in the starting rotation, some guys who have done it before um, you know, in the field and at the plate, but but not in the caliber of a Buxton or a uh, or a Correa, you know, Jorge Polanco, very good player. Uh, Miguel Sano has shown it in in spurts. You know, Gary Sanchez has had his years, things like that. Um, but when you're talking about true difference makers, those two stood out. We might have to revise that if we keep seeing what we're seeing out of relief pitcher Joan Duran because that was another lights-out performance from him against Seattle. It's just the ninth inning in a comfortable 4 nothing situation, but... Again, just the efficiency of his pitches, how smooth he makes a 100 miles per hour look. Hit 102 uh, late in the late in that short outing against the Mariners. He could be difference maker number three. And you ha- if you have a difference maker in the back half of your bullpen, that would go a long way to assuaging some of my fears about what this team is going to be up against in the late innings. Now, one game, one series does not make. You know, does not make that the the truth. You got to do it over an extended period of time. But his stuff is so good, uh, so he throws so hard. His his other pitches are good enough that he could be another one of those difference makers. And if that's the case, he can help obscure some of what the other deficiencies on this pitching staff might be. So that piece of it makes this season even more intriguing. Can he be 
that lights out, you know, back back end of the bullpen guy. Can he paper over some of their other, you know, bullpen deficiencies? They traded tra- traded Taylor Rogers right on the eve of the start of the season, their best relief pitcher, or at least who has been their most reliable relief pitcher over the last few years. They traded him for Chris Paddock, who is scheduled to start on Wednesday for the Twins against the Dodgers. Um, got you know, got a big. That was a big deal. That's a big trade. That's a lot to lot to put on the rest of the bullpen, including Duran, but he seems like he is up to the task so far. So can he be a difference maker? Can he be that guy in the back half of the bullpen? I don't know. I think the jury is going to be still out on that, but I think encouraging start all around on that. And if he can be that, my, my thoughts on this team improve quite a bit. Now, what we've seen other two, otherwise, too, we've seen some pretty decent starting pitching so far. Dylan Bundy, five innings, one hit, no runs in a in Monday's game, I was very critical of that signing. And one five-inning outing doesn't necessarily change the overall landscape of that. But he was very good. He looked better than what he showed in 2021. That is for certain. So if that's the case too, if the if the starting pitching is going to be decent, and we we still need to see, you know, ten more starts from each of these guys before we can reach any kind of conclusion about what we might see the rest of the year. But you know, first time through for these first four guys, it looks a lot better than I thought it would. So. Those things are encouraging, and let's see if we can see some more as we go along here. Speaking of Taylor Rogers and the Twins' bullpen, by the way, he had a pretty cool moment with his twin brother, Tyler. They both got to meet at home plate and exchange the lineup cards. Taylor Rogers now with the Padres. Tyler Rogers with the Giants. Tyler a righty. Taylor a lefty. And in the game, Tyler saddled with the loss while Taylor Rogers picks up the save. Pretty cool moment for both those guys. Taylor Rogers always a great guy to deal with in the in the media with the media. So nobody's a, you know everybody should be rooting for him in San Diego uh, and seeing his success. But good game for them. Good moment for that Rogers family. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for twenty four seven gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake where every day is play day. Really happy to have Chris Hind back on Daily Delivery. He's been on a lot of different times um, talking Timberwolves, of course, the beat writer for the Star Tribune, um, the original member of the Five Timers Club. But Chris, you've never been on um, to advance a postseason game because the Timberwolves don't often play in postseason games. But I, I consider the play-in, if not a playoff game, at least a postseason game, and they don't get much bigger at least around here, at least until something else happens, then a you know a, a a chance to actually get into the playoffs, a one game opportunity Tuesday against the Clippers. Yeah, I, I would call it a postseason game because it is technically postseason. Uh, yeah, I, I would fall short of calling it a playoff game, though. Um, I, I, I I'm I'm excited just just you know personally as as somebody who covers sports for learning, this is why you you cover sports you want to cover big games you want to cover uh, you know exciting moments so you know I'm I'm really excited for this week I'm you know and, and what happens going forward here uh, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a, a great atmosphere Tuesday night at Target Center I'm really looking forward to it that said um, the matchup is. You know, if you look at it on paper, there are some difficulties here just because the Clippers have some playoff experience for sure. They, they've been they've been here before. They, you know, had some injury problems this year. But when Paul George has been healthy and he returned to the lineup late in the season and they looked pretty good and he was in the lineup early in the season when the Clippers 
beat the Wolves three times in an 11 day stretch of November. How, as you think about this matchup, how much do you pay attention to, you know, that, that Owen three staring them in the face versus how much both of these teams have probably changed since then? I think it's, a, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I, I thought it was funny the other day we were asking Jaden McDaniels about this and, and Jaden said, uh, I, I barely remember those three games. And, you know, Chris Finch talked about five minutes later and we asked Finch, like, did you, did you forget about those three games? He's like, I, I certainly did not forget about those three games. Uh, <laughs> so I, th- I think they, st- they've stuck around in their, in at least some of the, the, the staff or players minds a little bit. Um, but like you said, this was back in November, December, or I, I forget what it, it was. It was actually, it was, it was November. It was like November 3rd, November, yeah. November 5th and November 11th. So it was very early. It was yeah, like, a month, it was like the first early. 12 games. They played all three of their games against the Clippers. Yeah, they, they had a fourth. I think they had a fourth one, but that was during the, the COVID absences. So I don't know that there's much you can really glean from that game. Um, but I think one of the things you saw during those three matchups, and we talked a little bit about it last night with Nas Reed, was that was one of the first times we saw a team defend Carl Anthony Towns kind of using the four and doubling a lot. And so the Wolves, I think, learned something from those three games about how to counteract that defense specifically. And, you know, that that became less of a problem as the year went on. So if it, if it happens again tomorrow night, which I think the Wolves are sort of expecting to happen, uh, they have, I think, a better, maybe a better plan in place to, to counteract that. They've seen that from a lot of teams this season. Uh, they've made some adjustments with Carl. You know, he's, he's catching the ball more out, out, the, out at the top. He's, he's driving the ball more. You know, he could obviously shoot it. Um, so I think that they're better suited to, to attack that. But, you know, I think Ty Lue is a, is a really good coach. Um, when it comes to best coaches in the league, I, I, I don't think he often gets the credit that he deserves. I think, he's, I think he's very good, and I think he'll probably have a couple unique wrinkles up his sleeve uh, tomorrow night to – see how they're going to defend this this dynamic Wolves team that, that finished, uh, I think, seventh in offensive efficiency uh, the, the season. Yeah, it's it's an interesting matchup in that regard. Um, you're right, the Wolves did get one back on them. I think it was like early January. But again, a lot's just happened along the way for this team. And, what you know, as you think about the evolution of this Wolves season, you know, from that from the point that they lost that game, you know, that that third game against the Clippers in that stretch. They were four and eight. They've gone 42 and 28 since then. I mean, as you, that was almost kind of the, the low point in the season. They lost one more right after that. And then they kind of went on a hot streak and they kind of figured things out at a certain point. But how, how do you think they got from, from there to, to here? And, and, you know, when we were looking at them early in the season, thinking guys, this is a team that's going to have to trade some of their best players, stuff like that to the point now where they are, you know, had, had, their most successful season, certainly since the Jimmy Butler year, and, and maybe in some regards since uh, you know since the 03-04 season. Yeah, that's kind of been what I've been asking uh, players over the last couple of weeks here, and I hope to if they make the playoffs, hope to have a story kind of about that moment uh, in time uh, and just kind of how they overcame that that four and eight uh, or that four and so whatever it was start. Um, and I think it's just it's a combination of of a steady locker room, um, guys not panicking, you know, everybody kind of figuring things out, answering their their roles. You know, Patrick Beverly has a hand in that. 
as a veteran voice. Uh, Finch, you know, same, it's kind of the same thing. Just let's not overreact. Let's, let's redefine some stuff. Let's, let's go back to the drawing board a little bit. Um, and, and just figure some things out. It's a long season and you can, you have plenty of chances to win games and, you know, there's, you know, the schedule goes through peaks and valleys. I think, you know, if you look at some of those early stretches, like when you play the Clippers three times with Paul George, that's not an easy matchup. Um, so I, I think it was just a team that's growing up a little more maturity than they've had in previous years to overcome some of these rough stretches. Um, and, you know, they, they were able to figure some things out. They got the offense on the right track. Eventually the defense was much improved this season and, and eventually, you know, shots started to fall. Uh, games started to go there. Well, close games started to go their way. They gained a little more composure as it relates to officiating. You know, that still tends to pop up from time to time. Their, their frustration with official officiating. But I think after a bad start to the year, they really they, they did work on that and that leveled out for the most part. So uh, it was a lot of things that I think went into rebounding from that early start you can't get postseason experience until you get to the postseason so everybody starts somewhere that said you know if, if we consider carl anthony towns d'angelo russell and anthony edwards the wolves core their three best players maybe their three most important players who are going to carry the bulk of the load scoring wise those three guys have played a combined 10 postseason games cat had the one five game series with the wolves in 2017-18, D'Angelo Russell had a five-game series with the Nets. Both of them lost 4-1 to one in those series. And Anthony Edwards, of course, has not played in the playoffs. Paul George has played in 108 career playoff games just by himself. I mean, how do you factor in postseason experience as we think about kind of a one-game, you know, what, what will in certain atmospheres or certain regards feel almost like a game seven, because, you know, even if you have one more chance after this, the winner does advance to the playoffs. Yeah. I, I think, I think it, it's worth a little something at the very least for the Clippers. I, I don't, you know, I, I, you look at, you just look at the circumstances tomorrow night, right? It's like the Wolves are at home, you know, a, a playoff starved franchise guys who haven't really been in the playoffs all that much in their career. The atmosphere is going to be loud. It's going to be rocking. You know, does that is that too much? Is it too much energy? Is it too much emotion? Uh, especially maybe early in the game, do guys try to do too much in that circumstance? Whereas you might have you have the Clippers, a team that that made a deep playoff run last year that has a Paul George, maybe a little more steady, a little more calm, maybe not as much adrenaline to where they can just kind of perform as they normally would. I think that's where it might show up tomorrow night. Can the Wolves kind of combat all the adrenaline that's going to be in that building, in their systems, and just play their game without getting outside of themselves? I think that's the challenge, especially in the first quarter tomorrow night. How does then someone like Patrick Beverly, who's, you know, an emotional barometer for them, but also a steadying presence who has been in a lot of playoff games himself. I'm looking at him to, I'm looking at him to kind of set a certain tone in, in that game. And, uh, you know, just, I, if I'm the wolves, I feel a lot better having him there than I would if it was, if he wasn't there, I guess is how I would put it. Yeah, no, for sure. I think this could be one of the most important moments that you have Patrick Beverly on your team. 
this season because he can be that voice to say, hey, guys, this is how it's going to go. This is what to expect. This is, you know, a little bit about how the Clippers might try to defend them, might try to, to guard against them. A little bit about how you're feeling and the emotions that are running through you, how to how to counteract that or how do you channel that properly. So I think it's I think it's a it's a big help to have him there. Uh Torian Prince also has a little bit of playoff experience as well. Um, and he's been a, a voice on the team as well. So you're gonna you're gonna have a little bit of input from him, I think, in that regard. Um, but yeah, it's you know, I, I We'll see. I, I, you know, you you really don't know until the moment arrives how you're going to react. You, you can play it out in your head all all you want, um, but we'll see how it goes on Tuesday night. The reward, of course, is you know if you can call it that. I mean, the reward is making the playoffs and being the seven seed, which we've talked about this before. I mean, it felt you know a month or two ago that they would have had to get up to that number six seed to get that you know quote unquote more favorable matchup against Memphis, and then Memphis went on this you know massive tear they've been playing as well as anybody that said um you know for talking about specific matchups and not to get too far ahead of ourselves but if the wolves can win this game tuesday they would be the seventh seed they would play memphis and that's a team that you know unlike the clippers the wolves have had a better matchup against the the, the grizzlies this year they're two and two those games you know one of them was a big blowout and one of the losses was i think overtime or at least close um so you know as in addition to not having to then you know, turn around and play again with your season on the line and, you know, have a chance to, you know, then go into the postseason against Phoenix, um, you know, the chance to have that seven seed and to get a more favorable matchup, if we can call it that, is also on the line here. It is. Um, and I think that's what they would prefer as well. They, I think they would prefer Memphis. I think they really do feel like they could give Memphis a series. Um and those games were really entertaining this year. I think I think it made for make for a great seven two series. Um, you know, they would play on Saturday, I believe. The series would start Saturday if they play or if they win on Tuesday night. Um, and I just would want to avoid Phoenix at all costs. I think Phoenix is my pick to win the title. Um, if I if I had to make a pick, um, I just think that they are so consistent. They are so just a well-oiled machine at this point. And with Memphis, you still have a little bit of, you know, that they made it to the playoffs last year, but, you know, they're still relatively new. Whereas Phoenix battle-tested, uh, made it to the finals last year on a mission to, to get back there this year. I don't want anything to do with Phoenix if I'm the Wolves. Um, and I'd want everything to do with Memphis in this scenario. So I do think it's important. I mean, look, if they, if they have to play Friday night, I like their chances against either New Orleans or San Antonio. Yeah, I'm not so sure how I like their chances Tuesday night against the Clippers. Um, I feel like it's, it's close to a toss-up game. Um, but... You know, I, if they somehow advance to the seven-two matchup, it's you know, I let's just say I'll be making I'll be making plans for at least a return trip for Game Five for for Memphis on the Star Tribune Company dime if we if we get there. Oh, I think so for sure. I mean, and, but you're right; they have to they have to get there. And you know, as much as we talked about, you know how the big three will play a role Tuesday, how Patrick Beverly could play a role. This is a you know, this is also a Chris Finch game. He just got an extension. Monday morning uh, contract extension for the Wolves head coach. Um, very well earned. This is a guy who, you know, took a franchise over in the middle of last season. And, you know, they had some, some took some lumps, but had a, a better second half than first half for sure. 
I think they were like what 16 and 20 in the second half of last year. So some of those, some of those seeds of this year planted um, planted last year. And then this year, of course, 46 and 36, um, you know, what, you know, as you think about Chris Finch and how he has grown into this head coaching role, what, you know, what comes to mind for you? I, I think he's just a guy who he's been waiting for this opportunity. You know, he, he put in a lot of dues in Europe and on uh, benches of NBA teams. You know, I, th- I think he, he always viewed this job as an opportunity, whereas others might have viewed this job as a sinkhole for their careers. You know, <laughs> you know, sure. uh, I think he's, I think, you know, from the time Gerson Roses took over, I think he saw the team that was building the talent that was on this roster and that, you know, with his offensive mind and, and his tactics and his way of building relationships with young players that he could really make an impact here. And I think, you know, from the, from the time he came in to the end of last season, you just kind of saw his steady hand. I mean, he's not afraid to get, to get at players. And I think that's one of the things that they respect about him too, is he, he will call guys out, call them to the, to the mat, so to speak. And, and, you know, hold even the top guys accountable. Um, and so, but at the same time, he's not some, uh, you know, leader who only kind of rules in with anger or, or, you know, that kind of fire and brimstone motivation. He, he's a guy that seems to care about the players, cares about their personal goals within the team context. And I think, you know, just his demeanor around the building is also very welcome. He's a, he's a, he's an easygoing, easy to get along with kind of guy who works well with a lot of people. So add all that up. And that's a guy I think you want, uh, you want leading your franchise for the next uh, couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was well-earned. They, they found their way into a, a good hire and a good situation. And, you know, what, whatever happens in, Tuesday's game, whatever happens, you know, beyond that, it does feel like we are at the beginning of something, not the middle or the end. Um, but you know, I, I'm still not sure what the, what the overall arc of this is. And I mean, maybe some of what happens this year will, will tell us, you know, what happens, some, what happens in the next couple of weeks will tell us what we think the ceiling of this, of this team might be, but you know, I'm still not sure like what ultimately, like how good this roster is, for the long haul. I mean, they obviously took a big jump this year. I don't know where the, how far the next jump can be. Yeah. And Finch has talked a lot about this, his experience in Denver kind of being the, the model for this team. Um, you know, he was, he was an assistant in Denver for a season. I think it was the season before they played game 82 against the, the Wolves to get into the playoffs, but he kind of views that as the, as the potential progression that this team can make. It's like you make, a, you make a jump one year, you know, and then you make another jump and then you make another jump. Uh, it's a gradual process that doesn't really happen overnight. I think, I think a lot of people are going to be looking at like, you know, what Memphis has done this year, going from the play into the two seed, what Phoenix did, you know, going from the bubble to the, that eight and bubble run to the finals to, you know, maybe another finals appearance this year. Um, and that's possible. That's certainly possible if you make the right moves. Um, but it can be, it can tend to be more gradual, which is kind of the path that Denver has taken. Yeah. Um, kind of up, up the Western conference standings. So, but you, but you, you know, in the process, you learn about what you need to surround your core players. I think they, I think they do realize that they need a little more size and bulk down low. So 
you know, I, I imagine that would be a priority heading into the off season. Once we get there, um, you know, one of the things that I, I've seen kind of floating around the fan base online is, you know, if you, let's say you get into a competitive series with Memphis, you know, you lose in six, seven games or what, what, ha- you know, kind of what happens if you get into a, you know, the, the, the option B with Phoenix, the immediate get swept or losing five games. Is it better for the long-term outlook of the franchise to have that competitive series or is it better to get, you know, crushed, and maybe you really maybe learn a little more something about yourself in that in that four or five game series. And I don't know. I'm not sure what the answer is or, or, or if one is necessarily uh, uh, if they're ex- mutually exclusive that way. Yeah, I, th- I tend to agree with that. It's probably more about them than it is about an opponent. Um, and that kind of brings me to my final thought here. You had a great story on Anthony Edwards over the weekend along a long story in the making. You took a special trip to Atlanta to get to know him and a lot of his, you know, extended group, extended family. You know what he calls what he calls home, who he calls family. Um, maybe a little bit behind the scenes of that, and just you know how important. I mean, obviously, this ant is so important to this franchise, and he's had an interesting season. What did, what did you learn about him in that trip and in that in the in that reporting? Yeah, so I went. I actually spent the All Star break going down there. That was when I that was when I went down there. Um, instead of going to the All Star game, I went to Atlanta and arranged a whole bunch of interviews over a four day period, uh, and just started driving around Atlanta trying to meet up with as many people as possible. Some of whom uh, didn't even make the in terms of being quoted in the story. I talked to more people than were quoted in the story. Um, and I, I think what I learned was, you know, this is a very sharp guy. Um, I think, um, you know, just intelligent um, and kind of has always been a little wise beyond his years in, in a way. And, you know, some of the people that around him, you know, term that an old soul. And right. that's, what, that's what came up in the story a lot. Um, but I was always struck by that and just how much he seemed to know from a young age, who to trust, who not to trust, you know, where to go, what to do, um, you know, growing up in a, in a tough part of Atlanta. Um, and then after his mom and grandma passed away, you know, kind of who to have in his life, you know, how to, you know, kind of stay on this path that he was on, you know, it became, you know, it wasn't really until after they passed away that he really started dedicating himself to basketball, um, took a big leap in his sophomore year, but all along the way, whether he was young or, you know, as he became a teenager and now he's 20 years old, just very wary, I think, of the world. And, you know, we see him on the press conferences grouping around a lot. We see he's, he's a very happy person. He's always had that. But there's always the side of him that I think is more aware of the world around him than you might think. And that's what I gleaned from the story. Yeah, I got that impression, too. It's a really good, really good piece. And, you know, as it pertains to Tuesday and beyond, does not seem like someone who is afraid of the moment. That doesn't mean he's going to have a, you know, 37 point game in his postseason debut on Tuesday, but does strike me as someone who likes the moment more than fears the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think that's that's a question. Um he, what's going to be interesting is how the Clippers are going to defend him. Uh, you know, as the season's gone on, uh, he has seen a lot more uh, different coverages, you know, 
people blitzing him on pick and rolls, you know, coming up with, with, uh, you know, double teams and things like that. He's seen that a lot more than he saw the first, you know, you know those first three losses against the Clippers. So that's one of the things I'm most curious about is how is Ty Lue going to choose to defend Anthony Edwards coming around screens and, and when he's taking the ball to the rim. Uh, I think that's one of the more fascinating matchups for tomorrow night. That should be tons of fun. Chris Hine will be there covering it. I'm sure we'll have a lot more coverage. We'll have some more on a Wednesday show as well, obviously off of that game, win or lose. Chris, good stuff. Great uh, story on Anthony Edwards. If you guys haven't read that, go check that out. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, all right? Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Good stuff, as always, from Chris Hine. Hope you guys are ready for that game tonight. That one is happening, rain or shine. It's part of Super Tuesday, which we thought was going to be a big, big night in Minnesota sports, but it could be cut in half if rain um, impacts the Twins and the Saints. Looks like it's going to be pretty wet later tonight, so the Twins and Saints might not be able to play. If they do, though, they'll be part of this night. The The Wild has a big game against Edmonton, and of course, like we talked about with Chris Hine, the big play-in game between the Wolves and the Clippers, tipping off a little bit after 8.30. Things that already happened, Lynx draft. Um, they, they traded a, a two of their top picks, the 8 and the 13, before the draft, so there wasn't as much to do in this draft, as you might have thought, it's going to be tough for anybody to make this roster. But they used uh, they used two picks later on to pick uh, North Carolina's Kayla Jones and uh, and also a local player, um, South Dakota's Hannah Shervin from Rogers High School. So pretty cool, uh, pretty cool draft there. We'll see if either one of those two can make the team, add some depth. But this is a, a very veteran laden team. The 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 Lynx and uh, GM head coach Cheryl Reeve traded back, traded those two picks this year for two picks next year when they might need to reload and might need to, uh, might have some more space on that roster. So, um, you know, big overall, big overall night in the league. Atlanta traded up to get to Ryan Howard from Kentucky. Um, you know, Lynn Dunn running Indiana had four picks in the top 10. So some pretty cool shakeups in the WNBA. We'll see, uh, we'll see how that impacts the league in 2022 and what ends up happening with the Lynx, who open camp, by the way, next week and have their first preseason game in just a couple weeks with a season starting you know, just around the corner from now. Let's finish with the cooler. I want to talk a little bit about Kirk Cousins. Like I mentioned at the jump, he's, he talked for the first time since signing that contract extension and gave some clarity as to what you know what the process was, you know, why, he decided, why he decided to add a year to his deal, added a no-trade clause, a little bit of security, what is he thinking long-term? Let's let Kirk Cousins talk about that. I think the short answer is I want to be a Minnesota Viking. Um, uh, you know, I, I wanted to help create some cap space uh, so that we could put together the roster that you do feel really good about. And, um, and I think it, it was just trying to always you know, find win-wins. And I think it was a way to create a, a win-win. And, um, uh, and then hopefully that leads to a lot of wins this fall. I would like to retire as a Viking. And so I would like to play my way into that, if you will. I know I got to earn the right to do that, but uh, if, if I could draw it up, it would be play well enough that they're never you never have to play or wear another jersey anywhere else. And I think he's being realistic. He needs to play his way into that, but uh, I, think he, I think he kind of understands that this is a pretty big year for him, that even though there's a no-trade clause on his contract now, that they you know if things don't go well this season, um, that they could be back at it next year trying to see if he would waive that and go somewhere else. But if things work out this year, Again, you can see that uh, you can see that getting extended even further if if this ends up being a good partnership. So an important year for Kirk Cousins. 
noticed in his comments, by the way, he snuck in the fact that there's been a lot of change, a lot of change in offensive coordinators here in Minnesota. Just stating facts, but if he wants to be a Minnesota Viking for life, he has already got the passive-aggressive part down. That will do it for today's show. We'll talk a ton tomorrow about the Wolves play-in game against the Clippers. I'm going to have Chris Hine jump in and talk a little bit more about that after the fact. Lots of good stuff coming up. Thanks for joining me here on Daily Delivery. We'll see you again on Wednesday.